0: My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you so again welcome to begin again all right this morning uh we have uh shane claiborne who is uh eastern grad as well but, um, Shane, how would you describe yourself to some people that maybe don't know of you or your work? I'm a
1: friend of Jesus and a friend of John's.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Thanks. And, uh, you, you just like exude Franc- Franciscan vibes every time I think about you or see pictures of you. And, uh, is that pretty true?
1: Well, I got them right over here. Let me just, uh, I actually have them in the yard too, but I've got, uh, got Francis right here, you know, on my desk and I've got, I've actually got some stuff from Assisi here. Um, certainly Francis is a huge, uh, inspiration for me, uh, you know, especially as I think of the gospel as a way of living, not just as a way of believing, uh, yeah, I've taken a lot of cues from, from the way Francis followed Christ. It's obviously Christ uh, that we follow, but, uh, you know, I, I think. Francis shows us what that can look like.
0: Right. I actually have a, a statue of him right over here, too. Just like a little one. But that's also because uh, Rich Mullins is a big influence, as we all know. Boom. That guy yeah,
1: started, you know, started that little movement called the Kid Brothers of St. Frank, uh, giving yeah. Francis a little uh, shorthand there. I woke up this morning, John, uh, listening to uh, Rich Mullins, who is also oh. Yeah. A really wonderful inspiration. Katie and I just uh, lounged out and listened to Rich. We do that often and uh, such a great thing. And, you know, a lot of the ways that he lived were um, centered around Jesus and also took a few cues from St. Francis. Oh, yeah. By the way, I got a statue in my yard, and it's right in the middle of all the birds and butterflies and stuff. I thought that's where, you know, um, Francis would like to be in concrete form. Uh, but a bird pooped right on him. So he's got a big, and I thought, hey, you know, I don't even think he would mind that that much. So uh, yeah, no. living, living large in the, in the old yard here in North Philadelphia.
0: I uh, recently was down in Damascus, and then we'll get started. But I was down in Damascus, Virginia, <laughs> speaking at the Appalachian Trail Festival because I'm a big hiker. And um, I was having this conversation with this gal. I was going through a really hard time, and we start praying. And up in the rafters of this outdoor pavilion, a bird poops on my shoulder. And I'm like, what is this? And they actually told me that's a sign of blessing in some parts of the world. So maybe your statue was blessed. Um, Yeah. So when I graduated (laughs) from Eastern, I then went and lived in Germantown for a bit because I went to the Lutheran seminary there. And that's – I remember actually walking out of classes – and then casually reading Irresistible Revolution when that first came out, walking right there on Germantown Ave in Philly, reading this and thinking like this is perfect. I love this book. Mm. But this mm. is this is an old one, not in a bad way, but it's it stood the test of time to me. But then this one, Jesus for President, that one was like a I don't want to say a gut punch, but I felt like even then it was a really provocative book, and I can only imagine it's just as provocative today than it was back then when it first came out, right?
1: I hope so. I mean, that's what it was about. You know, we 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 called it a project to um, provoke the. Christian political imagination, you know, and uh, it was a lot of stories and images. It was a wonderful project to get to be a part of with my buddy Chris Haw, mm-hmm. who is also, uh, you know, the co-author, but the uh, graduate of Eastern. And uh, yeah, but I do. There were some controversial parts when the publisher told me that we needed to have a legal team look at some parts of it.
0: <laughs> Are you serious? Why yeah. is that?
1: Uh, well, there were a few little parts that might suggest that Christians could be non-compliant with uh, uh, oh. some of our governmental policies or laws. And, um, you know, as as it was St. Augustine that said, an unjust law is no law at all. So they just, I think, wanted to know what they were getting into if they suggested that uh, some readers might not uh, uh, comply to all of our rules and regu- regulations, uh, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's uh what's that word um who is it that talks about that John Lewis did holy trouble yeah good trouble yeah good, good trouble, trouble. We, we, go.
1: we like to say good trouble and holy mischief
0: yeah I like it I um well and obviously I also have the Book of Common Prayer here your version of it that one's a fantastic read as well I look at that one pretty often and as a book somewhat of a guitar player. It's really nice to have some chords in the back for some songs there. That was a good addition.
1: Yeah, man. Well, uh, that was a holy project as well. And um, it is important to get the title right, common prayer, not book of common prayer. I learned that, you know, it's funny, because I'm pretty good friends with um, Justin Welby, Archbishop Justin, who is the uh, Bishop of He's the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, the head of the Anglican communion around the world, (laughs) (laughs) Protestant Pope kind of dude, you know, and I love him. But I brought him I brought him our common prayer book, you know, and he showed me the table where the Book of Common Prayer was written in like, the, you know, 1500s. uh, But but I think like what we were laughing about together is that you realize that you're building on a really rich tradition. Right and and yeah. a lot of these songs and prayers are hundreds of years old and we just keep remining, uh, you know, the treasures out of the, the kind of compost of Christendom and bringing them back to life. But the the songs were interesting because we we wanted to have we said the the worship songs you sing in the shower, you know, the songs that are yeah. meaningful to your tradition. And we this was a massive group project from all different traditions of Christianity and uh and so we got a a lot of those songs that are freedom spirituals and hymns but we couldn't get many contemporary songs because they're all copywritten. (laughs) isn't that something god gave me this song but if you're gonna print it or sing it you better pay some royalties so anyway it was a funny contradiction but uh yeah
0: well uh as i the the image of you that i have in my head is like we said good trouble holy mischief it's all good but it seems to me like you've been one of those figures at least in american christianity that doesn't seem to shy away from the the walking side by side of faith and politics and that would be the bulk of a a few of the questions i'd like to ask you because as a youth director for the past 20 years I felt like that was a very easy conversation to have with kids. Middle schoolers got it. High schoolers got it. College students understood it. But as soon as I started trying to say some of those things in front of adults, that didn't always go over well. But anyways, I would love to hear just kind of um maybe your methodology or philosophy about how Christianity and politics – what's that book? Um, Christ and Culture – By Niebuhr, Mm are they against each other in paradox? Are they with each other? Is one over the other? So, how do you understand the influence or the integration of faith and politics?
1: Well, yeah, this is good. I'm glad we're getting right into it. Um, Well, first of all, you know, I, I think it's important that the word politics or policy shares the same root as the word people or the citizenry. And it um it's about how people live together you know and mm-hmm. and um so i kind of i know i know we all have a real distaste for the word politics you know there's an old punk rock song that's politics schmaltics and i love the heck out of that one you know um uh, but we, we care about love you know loving our neighbor as ourselves. um that's what all the law is summed up into love love god love your neighbor And it becomes impossible to love our neighbor and ignore the policies that affect their lives. And uh, that's that's always been true. I think it's not that, you know, all of our that the government's going to solve all of our problems, but we want policies that protect life and that allow people to flourish. Uh, And Martin Luther King knew this really well, and I I take a lot of cues from Dr. King and um, He didn't just believe in policy changes. He also believed in heart change, Hmm. Um, uh, but they have to go together, you know, and um, like you think about the civil rights movement, right? In our our history of uh, racism, slavery, segregation. um, Dr. King said a law cannot make you love me, Hmm. but it can it can make it harder for you to kill me and hurt me. Wow. That's a great way to say it, right, is that, you know, no law can change a racist heart or a violent heart. Um, Only the Holy Spirit, only God can do that. Um, But our policies can do a better job at protecting people. So we needed, you know, legislation can't solve the heart problem. Um, We needed God and, and, and the Spirit to do that. But we did need laws to change, right? We needed Black folks to be able to be honored as equally created in the image of God mm-hmm. and swim in the same swimming pools and go to the same schools and you know, uh, vote and things like that. And s- same with so many of these other social struggles. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's similar with some of our policies now is to say, um, um, how can we welcome immigrants? Well, mm-hmm. right, because we know that is a holy thing to do, that scripture consistently from the beginning to end. Uh, tells us that we are to welcome the stranger, the widow and the orphan, the foreigner, the immigrant. You know, Jesus says, as you welcome right. the stranger, you welcome me. You know, the, the New Testament says when we welcome the foreigner, we're entertaining angels unaware. So this is holy work. So the question isn't whether or not we're going to welcome immigrants, but how do we do it responsibly? How do we do it well? You know, How do we care for widows and orphans? So I think that's our framework, right? Is that um, our focus and our moral framework our guide to policy is love and it's Jesus. Uh, uh, and, and, and that becomes so there's a lot of policies that are, that are formed around other things, mm. around fear, around money. Um, and, and, I you know, I think when fear is shaping our policies, we do really dangerous things. That's been true all through history. Um, and, and we've seen what that can look like. Mm. But the question is kind of for all of us to imagine is what does it look like if our policies were motivated by love uh, rather than fear. So I I think that's kind of the invitation. I want to say that, you know, to be politically engaged uh, is is so important because, but we also need to be peculiar in how we're doing it. I mean, Jesus whole life is kind of um, a satire of this world's yeah. power, you know, uh-huh. riding into a donkey into Passover, being born in a manger. It's a repudiation of the messianic expectation that many people had, that God's gonna come and kick butt, you know, mm. and we see in Jesus that God would rather die than kill, that Jesus ruled not with an, a fist, but with a towel, <laughs>
0: <Right?
1: Yeah. laughs> oh, yeah. washed feet. Um and and literally says, you know, in this world, people have power over each other and all of these hierarchies of one over another, but you are not to ascend into greatness, you're to descend into greatness. If you want to be the greatest, you become the least, you wash feet, you wash toilets, you hang out with the marginalized folks in, in our community, you know, so it's a different model. And I think that's, You know, it confounds the logic of our politics on the left and the right. That's Um, right. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I think that's, you know, probably enough to start with. Uh, But but to, to be to be like engaged is to say that our faith is not just a ticket into heaven. Mm -hmm. and a license to ignore the world we live in. A lot of people get exhausted and they just go, Oh, we shouldn't be involved in politics. We should just care about saving souls and the weightier matters of the law. Right. But when you look at Jesus teaching, I mean, he's talking about not just going to heaven when we die, but bringing heaven to earth while mm-hmm. we live. God's kingdom on earth, and he's talking about widows and orphans and unjust judges and day laborers and vineyard workers. You know like the right. stuff of the world he lived in. So, uh, and the language he uses is absolutely political. Even the the word "kingdom of God" was mm-hmm. the exact word for empire. You know this. You know Basileia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so uh, i mean he's, he's ripping that language and kind of spinning it on its head and saying what does it look like for god for i mean that's where we we got our our impulse to say jesus for president you know is that right. when they were when they were saying the early christians were saying jesus is lord they were saying caesar is not
0: mm-hmm.
1: our hope is built I'm nothing less than Jesus, blood and righteousness. But that doesn't mean that we are disengaged from this world. We want to transform the world from what it is into what God wants it to be. And what does God's dream look like on earth? Well, I think it looks like not a hundred people dying every day from guns in America.
0: Absolutely. I think it
1: looks like the abolition of the death penalty Mm -hmm. and the pursuit of restorative forms of justice that recognize no one's beyond redemption. And as Brian Stevenson, our alumni colleague says, we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done, that Mm -hmm. God's grace can get the last word. So there's a lot of different things. What does it look like? It looks like caring for the earth. It looks like good news to the poor. And if it's not about welcoming the stranger, it's not the gospel of Jesus. Right? So we've got to really have a gospel that connects to this world. And a lot of young people are leaving the church, I think. Not because we've made the gospel too hard, but because we've made the gospel too easy. We've reduced the gospel to a doctrinal statement and a set of beliefs on paper. And I don't believe that. I I believe that Jesus wants to sign people up for a revolution. Jesus wants more than a doctrinal statement from us and wants a transformed life, right? Uh, And and so uh, we're promising a lot of people life after death. And they're asking, "Is there life before death?" Right. And I don't think I don't think that the gospel is just good news when we die. I think it's good news to the poor and freedom for the oppressed right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I think it's fair to say you're passionate about this. <laughs> I, I mean, everything you just said was spot on, and it's not just because we went to the same school. I think it's because. Reading the scriptures in a very serious manner will bring that out. In fact, I remember having a conversation with someone and they were saying to me, no, John, there's a problem here. The prophets talk about Jesus. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa." like in the words of of Richard Rohr, he would say it's like like 3% of the prophets are about Jesus. But in the moment, it was actually about the priests and the kings not doing their jobs well. And then afterwards we started to see that there was actually a lot of references about Jesus, but we didn't know that in the moment when the Hebrew scriptures were being written, you know? And so I think it's if it's possible, I would like to try to be a devil's advocate against your position. Let's see if we can have some fun. All right. Okay. Let's say so. Let me put on the mantle of uh john the um platonist right the one that thinks spiritual things are the only things that matter all right what would you say if i said shane the kingdom of god is just about spiritual things we're we're not supposed to be all about things of this world of this life of this earth we're supposed to be in the world but not of it and that means to not participate in its politics at all what would you say back to that
1: I would say that uh, to be in the world and not of the world is to, uh, to, to really care about our neighbors. And th- this is what I we, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going back to what does love require of us? Uh, and and this, the scriptures speak a lot of principalities and powers. And it even says, and authorities in high places, right, that are, that are hurting our people. And so this this story as it's unfolding is uh, about a God that is transforming this world from what it is into what God wants it to be. And that means really concrete changes, right? It means abolishing slavery. It means ending Mm -hmm. the death penalty. It means challenging uh, the systems and structures that are out of sync with um, God's dream for the world. And so, you know, there's there's a lot there's that old saying that we can be so heavenly minded that we're not much earthly good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that we have to be careful not to take sides on the transformation of the world and the transformation of individual hearts, Mm. because I think that I think the gospel is also personal. God is saving and healing and redeeming individual people. It's also why I'm against the death penalty, but I'm also believe that God's gospel is social, is about the transformation of uh, of the world. And we are to participate in that as we seek first the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, So God's transforming this world and transforming ourselves. And what happens sometimes, John, I would suggest is that we we divorce things that were meant to be held together like two sides of a coin. Or okay. you know, I got a, got a pair of scissors here. Like they work together. You know, they don't work well if you pull them apart. And uh, that's like faith and works, mm-hmm. or uh, evangelism and the social, social transformations of you know of the world. And and what happens sometimes is we we overemphasize the parts that have been neglected to the extent that we are still imbalanced. So I, I sometimes. Uh, uh, give the image of like you, you run your car off the left side of the road, and you yank the wheel and you run off the right side of the road. And I think that's what sometimes we see at war with some of these things about, um, well, racism is not um, a social problem. It's a sin problem, a skin problem or whatever. You know, like, like uh, you know, th- these these dichotomies or gun violence. People will say that's not a gun problem. It's a heart problem. And we say it can be both. God heals hearts. And we yep. change laws and, and change you know social structures. So, uh, you know that that's kind of you know how I would think of it. Uh, and 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 if we're we're too heavy on one side, I think we miss a whole part of the the gospel. A whole part of the dimension mm. of God's transformation uh, that God's you know healing hearts and healing society.
0: Okay, that was brilliant my my next rebuttal You're though. not a
1: very good devil's advocate if you well,
0: <laughs> Should that. I be yeah. interrupting you? That feels rude. <laughs> I just yeah. did one of those shows. Let's not do that. Say, again. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to say what well, but but Shane Powers and Principalities are about demonic sh- demons. It's about hierarchies of angels. It says not against flesh and blood. It says against spiritual things. But then even then I would say, okay, Then it sounds like the goal is we have to make sure that all of America is Christian. We just need to return back to a Christian nationalism. Then, wouldn't that be the solution?
1: Hmm. It's interesting. So you know, I where I would start is with this. I I do believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in principalities and powers. Uh, I don't think there's any way that you can explain the kind of evil. That happens when um, someone's so preoccupied with with racism and travels hours, as we saw in Buffalo, mm-hmm. in order to massacre African-Americans or I mean, we've seen it over and over, but we've seen it in Charleston and the Emanuel AME Church. So we've seen it, you know, that kind, that that's evil, right? Um, and I also can still believe that some of those social constructs that evil works through systems and structures and can even work through theological and ecclesial structures. Mm -hmm. um, If we're not careful, we've always got to be exercising the demons. But um, when it comes to the principalities and powers, I would suggest this is that um, this is where we also see it manifest itself these economic studies you may have seen where identical resumes are submitted to employers. Mm. The only thing that's different on the resume are the names, everything else, all the credentials, everything's the same except for the names and over and over the name that is comfortable and sounds uh, white to many employers is the name that, that that is chosen. So literally identical resumes, but Jason, gets the job over Jacquiel mm. uh, shannon gets the job over Shaniqua. uh matthew gets the job over mohammed and we can see i mean that's just one example but i think we can see it in um, uh, the disproportionate penalties in the criminal justice system the uh, population of our prisons i mean right now in america one in every three African-American boys, one in three can expect to be incarcerated. And that's not about behavior alone, right? (laughs) This is about
0: um, those
1: principalities and powers, right? This is the residue of hundreds of years of uh, racism systemically in our society that affects uh, economics, housing, education, like all parts of our, our society. Uh, So we've got to address that, you know, uh, that, that those principalities and powers are not colorblind. And that's why we can't just move to this post-race colorblindness either. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we literally said black folks are three-fifths human. We said in the Dred Scott case that they don't have any rights that white people are, uh, obliged to respect. Um, you know, it, we, we called native American savages in our founding documents mm-hmm. of, of this country. And so that has real residue and ramifications today right um uh, and, and and um the scripture i would point to um is from corinthians cuz i always love to go back to the scripture and to jesus um but this one in the new testament you know it, it talks about how we're all one body with many parts yep. right uh-huh. but then there's an interesting part sometimes we miss the depth to and in that text it says we that god's giving special honor to the parts of the body that have been dishonored isn't that something? Wow! My, yeah listen to this so now my friend Alex- Alexia Salvatierra she calls it God's affirmative action <laughs> God <laughs> yeah. God is affirming what we have denied
0: oh wow And
1: in, in a special way it's very clear that in a special uh-huh. honor right so to say black lives matter is a holy declaration Uh, because it's specific and particular to what our history uh, has denied, right? Um, It's not to say white lives don't matter. And that's why the pushback of all lives matter is so problematic is Mm. we need to be able to be specific. And until we are particular about uh, correcting the Mm. the historic uh, sins of our past, uh, we don't really mean all lives matter until we can be specific that black lives matter. Um, And, and, uh, Uh, You know, I heard a comedian say, if your wife comes up to you and says, honey, do you love me? You don't say back, baby, I love everybody. (laughs) 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 There's something something particular about that, right? Um, Uh And and in particular, you know, especially with our history of race. So, you know, I I, I just would point to that as a biblical foundation for affirming. And, And I literally think it's what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes as well is he's blessing the people that this world has cursed and crushed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Come on, somebody. So if Jesus stood up today and said, blessed are the poor, someone would try to correct him and say, but God loves rich people too. Wow. And and the point is that, oh, wow. Hmm. Certainly every person is made in the image of God. Every person is equally precious in this world. And that is exactly why. We want to emphasize those folks who our world continually contradicts and betrays the value that they have.
0: Well, then I I guess a next follow up would be there is personal repentance and then there is systemic repentance. And does not the book of Leviticus also have, um, yeah, there's practices for how to give sacrifices for personal sins and to make atonement for that, but there's also sacrifices for group sins happening in the book of Leviticus. So I also feel like, maybe I'm shifting out of devil's advocate, it feels like that's a, an overlooked part, especially when we have this framework of our own little personal Jesus, not thinking about this is our collective Jesus, and this understanding that perhaps we do need to pay more attention away from American individualism to more about the ecclesia. What does our community need to repent of? So what yeah. would you say to to that, to the idea of not just systemic issues, but systemic repentance? Have you ever touched on that topic with people? Yeah.
1: Absolutely, um, and uh, in fact, I'm I'm writing a book that touches on that a little bit right now and comes out next year. But the the uh, so let's think about jubilee, right? The biblical jubilee, okay. yeah. Um, this was uh, God's vision for how we are to dismantle inequality. Mm-hmm. Literally, uh, you know, th- this periodic, uh, uh, regular pattern of setting enslaved people free Mm -hmm. releasing people from the debts that they owed um uh, redistributing resources land in particular i mean that would be the capital in the time you know in some ways it's still the capital, and 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 um letting the land rest all these were were they were systemic they were ways that god's saying you you are inevitable you are going to create inequality and so you need to start from scratch. You need to set people free regularly. Right um, now, uh, you think of our world right now and sweet Lord. I mean, we have less than a hundred rich people that now own the same amount as half of the world's population, less I than I didn't know that people.
0: statistic.
1: Wow. And, and you think this, this is an unimaginable e- inequality. Um, where, where, you know, three people own the same amount as like 40 countries combined. Um, so there's a wisdom in that, you know, redistribution. Um, now there's folks that will argue that the, the Hebrew people never really practiced
0: Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And my, my friend, Chad Myers, uh, who you may know as well. Oh, he's got a yeah, I have his great-
0: book on Mark. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's a great Mark scholar, but he's he's also uh, got a good sense of humor, and he says, uh, "When um, when people say that, that, that you know the Israelites never practiced the jubilee, I just say, well, the Christians have never really practiced the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that Jesus, you know, that God didn't mean it, and and this was God's vision, right? So we may not practice it in the exact same way that mm-hmm. it was intended, but we've got to imagine what was the intention behind it. What what, does it, what are the, the implications that has for the world we live in right now, you know? Right. Um, and, and, uh, and we also see this in scripture. You know, Jesus points back to it in his inaugural sermon, you know, in Luke, uh, as he talks about the year of Jubilee that, you know, that God's justice has come. Uh, and, and we see it in people's individual lives, too. I mean, this, this was a mm-hmm. so, social uh, construct. But when uh, um, Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who was a part of the system that created such an oppressive uh, debt, and um, it was such a wicked system, when he meets Jesus, he repents and he confesses, but he also repairs the harm that he'd done. Mm-hmm. He sells half fourfold. of everything, yeah. everything he owned. And then, you know, begins to repay people back in fourfold. Uh, yeah. So that he flips that whole system on its head. Um, and and Jesus says, incidentally, like today is a da- day of salvation, not just for Zacchaeus, mm. but for the whole family, perhaps for all of us, you know, right. that, like salvation has come and, and that's what it looks like. Right. So, you know, re- repentance, confession of our sins, is the beginning but that's not the end if we're really uh sincere about our repentance then we want to repair some of those things that our sin has contributed to and i think that's why um, conversations around reparations both individually even ecclesially, because I don't know if you've seen this wonderful book by my friends, uh, Duke Kwan and, and uh, Greg Thompson, but uh, no. Reparations. Um, oh, this yeah, book, I have seen yeah. it. It's got some really incredible insights. And, and one of them shows exactly how much the church profited from enslaving people and literally like owned slaves, uh, owned you know enslaved people in the church structures. Um, uh, you know, not just plantation owners or something that that were Christians. I mean, that happened too, but, uh, and, and so what does repair look like? You know, what does it look like to, to really address some of those wounds of history? Um, and I, I don't think there's a, an exact, um, you know, money mark on everything. I some I think some of this is particular and contextual, just as it was with Zacchaeus. That wasn't a formula for mm-hmm. every tax collector. But what's important is that we notice that repentance did mean repair. You know, it meant actually repentance it, 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 it,
0: means repair.
1: Yeah. And it meant like literally I like holding possessions differently, you know, and, and and redistributing them, you know, so yeah.
0: Well I guess um, one final question, because we want to respect your time, right? Um, I have this ongoing theory. I did the math one day. I sat down with the Bible, and uh, as you should. And I just thought to myself, wow, I feel like I've heard a lot of the same passages every Sunday morning. You know, I mean, I've been going to church for my entire life. But if you hear the same 10% of the New Testament over and over and over, That's something close to 2.4% of the entire Bible. And I think to myself, wow, how many people is their faith informed by only 2.4% of the same passages of the Bible? And so in some sense, I feel like one of the things that really needs to happen is not just a sense of biblical literacy, but we perhaps need to start paying attention to more than just the same passages because... I wonder if the American church, for better and worse, no, largely for worse, only looks at the Bible passages that makes us look like good Americans. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We look at where there's Venn diagram overlap with what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a, a pious, civil person of civil religion. I'm I'm stammering over my words, but... Does that make sense? Do we need to start paying attention to these passages that maybe rub against American culture?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm also recognizing that I didn't fully address your uh, your question around the the, the theocracy and the uh, Christian nation or whatever. Oh, you know, but yeah. we'll, we'll have to do that we'll next do time. But, yeah, uh, but I, w- I wanted I to say this because these are very related. You know, is um, there are over two thousand scriptures that talk about God's heart for the poor and God's justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's very difficult to um, ignore that much of the Bible, you know, and, and in fact, yeah. I think it was J- Jim Wallace, you know, who's a friend of mine and he, he took all of those passages out and that you just didn't have anything left of the Bible. You know, I think he tried to actually cut them physically out and see what it would wow. look like. And you, you just don't have anything left, you know, it, it's a Bible with holes in it. And, and, um, and and this, but I I do want to say that you know this is why I keep coming back to Jesus is that when when we call ourselves red letter Christians, mm-hmm. uh, re- referring to the the words of Jesus in red, um, that's not to say that the rest of the Bible doesn't matter. It's to say that we that that Jesus is the lens through which we are interpreting the Bible, and Jesus is the lens through which we're understanding how we're to live in the world and there are lots of ways that you can twist scripture or make things say what you want them to say and at the end of the day that's why we don't just have words on paper we have the word become flesh and Mm -hmm. we bounce everything off of jesus if it doesn't sound like jesus or smell like jesus or love like jesus it's not christian it's not christian um and when 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 scriptures seem like they're at odds with each other. Uh, Jesus is the referee, right? Uh, Jesus is the <laughs> sounding board.
0: That's a good and,
1: one. Um, and, and I and I'll just close with this, you know, from from I, I, really Tony Campolo, you know, my dear mm-hmm. brother and partner at Red Letter Christians, he he says, it doesn't get much clearer than Matthew 25, when Jesus mm-hmm. gives us the final account of the judgment. And all of us are gathered before God, and we're going to be asked a few questions and they won't just be doctrinal questions. Tony says, you know, it won't won't be virgin birth, agree, disagree or strongly disagree. You know, as as important as many of those theology, theological ideas are the questions that we're going to be asked are when I was hungry, did you feed me? Mm -hmm. Did you come visit me when I was incarcerated? Uh, did you welcome me when I was a stranger? That the 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 real uh, test of our faith is how it manifests itself to the least of these, the most vulnerable people in our society. And I'm always careful to say, our faith doesn't earn, or, or our works, our works don't earn our salvation, but our works demonstrate our salvation. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know it, what's also interesting in that. that it's not just individuals this is all the nations are gathered before god and might it be that god could care less how the dow jones is doing yeah and god cares how the least of these are doing the most vulnerable people in our society are doing and that the the test of america i mean we can all argue whether or not it should be a christian nation right (laughs) the question is does it does it look like Jesus? Does it? Are we loving like Jesus? Uh, The the, the way that our country will be judged um, is how the way we will be judged and the whole world will be judged is on how we care for the least of these. And, And that's if that was the question that everyone's asking when they're talking about politics, what does it mean to vote for the poor? what does it mean to to align myself with the people Jesus blessed in the beatitudes the peacemakers the merciful the meek I mean they are the antithesis of what wins elections right <laughs> that's
0: right yeah yeah absolutely
1: so that's enough man but i I've loved the conversation I hope we can do it again sometime man and I would love so that appreciate you
0: yeah well um thank you for not only the work you've been doing recently but pretty much what you've been doing your whole life. It's always fun. And at some other point, I'd like to hear about how you do uh fire breathing on Pentecost, but that's another day. So thank yeah. you for your time. Grace and peace. And you,
1: you, you need liability insurance for that. No, oh. uh, yeah, no, I'm okay. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> love, love y'all and uh, bless you. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks, John, for the conversation, bro.
0: Yeah. Thanks.